Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Andy J., Gordon S., Sean M., and Cindy W. We have a new guest on the program today. Mr. Tom Meyer has joined us. Tom is the president and CEO of Archer Exploration, an exploration junior focused primarily on nickel projects with its Grisette Nickel Project in Quebec that has an existing nickel deposit as well as multiple exploration projects in the Sudbury Basin, Ontario. Archer Exploration is listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange under the symbol RCHR and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol RCHRF. Tom, it's good to have you on the program. Welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah, Tom, it's good to have you on the program here and get a little bit of introduction here started off with uh, Archer Exploration, which uh, looks interesting. Why don't we just have you kick it off here, Tom, with you giving us your background and experience in the natural resource sector? Sure, happy to do that. Uh, I'm a metallurgist by training uh, and spent some time, uh, er very early days actually doing some diamond exploration, but uh, also with what uh, what is now part of Valley and what is part of uh, Glencore through Inco and Falconbridge respectively. Spent you know, almost you know a little over 20 years plus in the capital markets as a mining uh, equity research analyst. I covered the Latin American mining space, the U.S. steel space, and then I moved back to Canada in the early 2000s and, and covering uh, base metals for a number of uh, brokers and banks and uh, recently signed on to Archer to head up the exploration programs that we have in Quebec and also in Ontario back in September of, of last year. Um, so uh, a lot of experience on the uh, kind of metallurgy side, on the capital market side, and just having a, a phenomenal opportunity to, to look at a number of, of projects around the world and uh, was very excited to join Archer because what we've got in our portfolio is uh, arguably outstanding uh, and we're happy to get into that in a little bit more detail as uh, as our talk unfolds. Tom, that sounds good. Pretty diverse background there, and it must have been a, a reasonably compelling opportunity for you to step out with what you were doing to come over here and you know, talk briefly about the bigger picture on the fundamentals behind metals such as nickel at this point. You know, anything you can tell the audience specifically on supply and, and demand picture for nickel. Obviously, you know, most folks probably know, at least our audience probably knows what nickel is primarily used for. But just talk about, you know, why nickel and, and why now? Yeah, well, why nickel? We're, we're going through this kind of technological transformation phase and we go through different cycles. And I think with the decarbonization agenda, which is behind us and, and one of the key tailwinds, uh, we're seeing a greater, much, much more, you know, across the board, across all commodities, a much more metal intensive use of, of these metals as we as we de decarbonize. But there's also just the backdrop of 
advancement and and whether you look at it in the aerospace uh sector or as we develop more of these these rockets and specialty metals that are required uh the backdrop uh, kind of the macro for nickel is very exciting and i think one of the challenges like unlike copper which i think people can visualize copper wire and you and uh, in its uses uh, nickel is i find it quite interesting because it, it is it is you could arguably it's an additive to a lot of the metals that we use and so it's not as visible as say copper is and you know that obviously stainless steel being a key market uh, historical key market uh and specialty metals uh for nickel but I think the, the go forward uh, investment case for nickel and nickel demand is some, for more of the specialty applications as we get into uh, the various battery uh, technologies. So you're, you're, you're looking at a, a sector that, that is most likely uh, on, on, on just even conservative estimates is going to double uh, over the next uh, 15, 20 years in terms of demand. And the main driver for that is the EV battery technology, but there's a, many other technologies that are kind of waiting in the wings that are yet to be divulged and maybe visibly small at this point, but ha have a lot of room to grow. But you have that backdrop against, um, I, I, would, I would say a challenge supply. Uh, nickel tends to be quite volatile in its price performance. And so what that typically means is that you get surges of exploration uh, and development when the price is high and the, and the opposite is true when prices go low, uh, as we saw like just five, six years ago in a depressed price environment. And I think with the tailwind of the, the decarbonization trend, we're in a situation now where I, I would argue that it's quite challenging for the nickel producers to expand production in order to keep up with that demand. And with um, the growing uh, sources of nickel supply, say out of Indonesia, in, 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 that's one of the obvious ones, um, whether that's sustainable in the sense from an environmental front or whether it is a solution to all the, the, the nickel demand, uh, I have my doubts. And I think that's where nickel sulfides come into the picture and in nickel sulfides in low risk political jurisdictions come into the picture. So it's actually quite exciting on the nickel front. And I think it's gonna get much more attention than it has been in just over recent, even months and, and years. So quite the exciting space. Tom, it is quite interesting and, and yeah, lots of challenges here, whether we're talking about jurisdictional, whether we're talking about permitting risk, regulatory. I mean, some jurisdictions are good in the sense that you can permit things reasonably quickly in a, in a decent time and completely. Uh, and then other jurisdictions are, are rough for the sense of political instability and red tape jurisdictions in the sense that a lot of bureaucracy tends to tie things up and permitting processes that go uh, way too long, uh, you know, 10 years, seven years, what have you. There's just, there's no reason for that type of a time frame. in most cases. Obviously there's exceptions, but good points on a lot of this stuff here. And briefly, just your view on the battery technology component here. Nickel's inputs today versus the expected use of nickel and battery technology. Obviously there's other uses like really robust with stainless steel and, but also where nickel slides in with things like lithium. There's a lot of popularity around lithium right now and lithium's use in batteries. Talk about that and how you see nickel fitting in. 
one of the easier and more visible ways to look at it is just with uh, you know a Tesla as a, as a branded electric vehicle that uh, gets quite a bit of attention and all the kind of the other uh, manufacturers you know catching up and the public's desire to have uh, and adopt more of the battery electric vehicles but uh, so that kind of that rise of electric vehicles is is one of the key components and these this battery technology this kind of high nickel cathode uh, chemistries uh, are, are are gaining that that popularity and it is kind of crowds out some of the other technologies not to say that uh, other technologies can't catch up but given the kind of the energy density uh, of these uh, nickel uh, these high nickel cathode chemistries uh, the energy density is such that it does have uh, an expanding application base as the market grows for these types of uh, vehicles and then there's when you expand beyond that there's other larger scale battery applications for storage uh, along the grid that is to be developed but i watched it kind of from uh, from a, a bit of a distance and to see what is going to kind of win out in the end and the types of the batteries that are uh, available for whether it's the passenger fleet or or more if we look at larger scale um, trucking um, then you can start thinking about on the nautical front with you know eventually uh, fleets of boats etc we're still in this kind of expanding phase of the different types of, of battery technology and my suspicion is that uh, it's it's only as we kind of evolve uh, our, our knowledge in that space and it, it kind of ties in with lithium that we're going to see more and increase in expanding applications and beyond just the kind of the visible trucks but we've also have uh, you know trucks cars and then ar around the house whether it's uh you know lawn equipment and, and carrying uh just of just normal um gas powered leaf blowers etc that kind of evolve into um and into uh, expanding applications for this uh battery types let's talk archer here uh why don't you give us just a quick overview of the company and then we'll get into some specifics archer exploration we're a canadian exploration and development company and our focus is on nickel sulfides uh our flagship uh, project is the Grisette project in the Abitibi Greenstone Belt off the highway in, in Quebec. And uh, our, that's the 80-20 rule for us. 80% of our focus and efforts are on Grisette and it's expanding our resource base uh, at Grisette. And that current resource is 5.5 million tons at 1.53% nickel equivalent. Uh, and that asset is 100% owned. Our other key you know, part of our portfolio is our land package in the Sudbury Basin. It's very large. It's actually the, the third largest um, land package in that in the Sudbury camp. We spend about 20% of our, our time, efforts, and, and money in Sudbury. More, more has to do with the fact that Grisette is, is that opportunity that we can add value because it is a recent vintage discovery. Uh, and the fact that you know Sudbury is uh, an established camp, um, but the exploration there, uh, in our view, and, and how we're attacking it, is 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 going to be much more uh, appropriately paced and, and methodical. Whereas Grisette, it's kind of wide open in, in terms of um, not only the existing resource, but we're on a largely unexplored 
23 kilometer ultramafic uh, trend. So what we're focused on growing our resource and uh, ultimately uh, demonstrating to the world that we've got a, a potentially world-class uh, next large high-grade uh, nickel mine. Now, it's very early days. Just want to make that clear. It's very early days, but we've got a lot of room to grow and we're excited to kind of proceed along that path uh, in, in the coming months and years. Tom, give us a flavor for the capital structure in terms of the current shares outstanding, the cash on hand at this point, and then also major shareholders, including the management team, board and insiders. Sure, so we've got about 91 million shares outstanding at present. Uh, we ended the June quarter with $4.8 million in cash. Um, insiders and um, advisors, associates, we're, we're just less than about 9% of, of the float. Uh, Wallbridge Mining is our largest shareholder. They own 19.9%. That is due to the fact that this, uh, to a great extent, this nickel portfolio was deemed as non-core to Walbridge, who's focused on their gold uh, project in the Abitibi, which is a PEA level project. Uh, so they deemed their uh, nickel portfolio non-core, and that's how we ended up with it. They, they retained the 19.9% interest. And then we have um, between retail and high net worth, there's almost another, just short of 70%. It's a mix of you know, retail and high net worth in that. And uh, to a great extent, those are kind of long-term supportive uh, shareholders uh, that, we, that we have on our register. And Tom, any expectation here with the exploration program that's ongoing? Where do you see the runway in terms of current cash position and when you guys might need to finance? The end of the quarter of the June quarter with 4.8 million in cash, we raised uh, back in November, uh, we raised $10 million, a little over $10 million. Of that $10 million, we raised $7.2 million of flow through. And in Canada, that's tax advantage exploration dollars. And so we will spend that 7.2 through our program in 2023. And then um, based on you know, where we end up with results of the existing program, which are, are quite exciting, and our plans for 2024, then we'd look to uh, consider our funding opportunities for the 2024 uh, season, which we're gonna, we can, I guess we can get into, but it's you know, quite exciting prospects for uh, 2024. Very well. Yeah, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Um, how about any key people at the company in terms of uh, folks you'd like to mention uh, that are helping to, you know, advance the projects along here? Yeah, so I, I mentioned a few of them. So our VP Exploration, Jack Gauthier, has over 40 years of experience, and he's your honest-to-goodness uh, focused exploration guy he likes getting into the into the weeds so to speak uh and we came out of the gate last november and, and put together a pretty aggressive program for 2023 and that was i would say very very successful and so he's an absolutely solid uh, explorationist uh very pleased to have him and his experience and uh, adding the tremendous value and uh, he brings not only his skill sets that he he carries with him but uh his um, 
Rolodex is quite uh, quite extensive, so we can uh, kind of tag in interesting help as we need it, uh, as we embark on our and, have, and proceed with our program. Our chief financial officer, uh, Sherry Roberge, over 15 years experience in the mining space with resource exploration development companies, so a key asset. And she joined us joined us just around PDAC time in in March. Uh, and then Wes Short, our, our Vice President of Corporate Development, who's got uh, quite a very interesting experience in the uranium space uh, and, and, and moving projects and, and companies from early stage into kind of the more advanced uh, companies. So solid kind of management team. And then I, I'll mention, I try not to scare people, but Nick, nickel, is, nickel is a tough space to be in. It is uh, challenging. It has exploration, which is somewhat unique. So it's it's very unlike, uh, to a degree, very unlike anything you'd see, say, in the copper space with uh, big porphyry systems or IOCG or sediment-hosted uh, systems and di very different from gold as well. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, you sometimes you have these large... Um, lower grade nickel systems which are quite interesting and they're kind of approached from um kind of a copper porphyry type expo uh, approach with you got a large capital intensive projects and then you have that kind of the smaller kind of needle in the haystack where you spend some time and you know over a few years you develop into something quite exciting uh or you can get lucky in the case of well, 30 years ago with the Boise's Bay. So with the backdrop that nickel is somewhat different than uh, you know conventional exploration techniques and it does require a pretty unique skill set. One of the things that we did with Archer out of the gate is we assembled a technical advisory committee and that's chaired uh, by Dr. Neil O'Brien, who's formerly um, Senior Vice President of uh, Lundin Mining. Within that group, we've got uh, academics, we've got ex expert geophysics, we've got uh, very practical uh, exploration type people that have experience in nickel exploration and development. Uh, so that technical advisory committee is a kind of a key hidden gem within the management group that allows us to leverage many, many years of experience from many, many different geographic perspectives on many, many different nickel uh, sulfide type projects. Uh, so we have that in, in the background, uh, you know, guiding us and using it as a sounding board uh, and, and challenging uh, how we should proceed with our exploration um, not only at Grisset, but also in Sudbury. So that that's a key that's a key shout out and a kind of I would say a very distinguishing feature for Archer and and how we proceed with our uh, exploration and at, and finding more uh, of these nickel sulfides and adding value for shareholders. Thanks, Tom. That's an interesting team, and I do know Wes. I know he's over there at Cosa Resources presently as well, and with uh, some of the former ISO Energy team. Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing that information with us. Um, coming back just to the project, Grisette, just cover, Wallbridge obviously turned it over to you guys, but uh, just cover what you guys paid for consideration. Talk about the background of the project there, and then let's get into that exploration program. Yeah, so the deemed consideration of about $53 million, and that's in contrast with our current market cap of, of just around 10 million Canadian right now. So we like the... 
many uh, in the junior exploration and development space has kind of suffered some of the downdraft. But I think what is very interesting with this portfolio, and again, non-core to uh, Wallbridge, uh, Grisette was part of the Balmoral portfolio, and Balmoral was acquired by Wallbridge in, in around 20, well, it was announced at PDAC in, in March uh, 2020 um, and delisted, I think they closed it in July or August. Um, but this project, Reset, was discovered by Balmoral in, in 2012. Um, the exploration team at Balmoral were uh, expanding and, and searching for gold in the Abitibi. Uh, they did a 500 meter step out and I would say accidentally discovered nickel. And what is interesting with this, you know, kind of one of these accidental discoveries, and uh, they are rare, <laughs> but in this case, it kind of opens up the idea for finding more nickel uh, in the in the greenstone belt. And one of the challenges with exploration in, in this part of uh, Quebec and along the belt is that the there's there are no outcrops so you're not going to stumble across this uh the deposit is buried by 60 to 80 meters of glacial till so it is blind and so it it it, it kind of understandable that it was discovered by accident because unless you were specifically looking for this type of deposit you unlikely to have found it unless you accidentally uh discovered it because the area has been well picked over for gold and also uh, VMS but this nickel discovery is is somewhat unique in this area and kind of excited to follow up uh, more with that but unlike some of the other nickel uh, sulfide uh, projects that are that you hear about from from time to time this one is um, unique in the sense that it is a 2012 vintage discovery Balmoral had the opportunity and they did a fantastic job exploring and, and developing the resource that, that we have today, that five and a half million ton uh, resource at 1.53% nickel equivalent. Uh, there's a lot more to be found and, and Balmoral really didn't have the time or the wherewithal to kind of pursue that because they disappeared in 2020 with the acquisition that uh, Walbert took them out and there was no work done by Walbridge. So we, we've got a project that uh, has got a great starting point and now we're busy, busy uh, focusing on expanding uh, that resource and, and looking for more along that 23 kilometer uh, ultramafic trend that we, uh, that we control. And Tom, cover the, the current exploration program here in terms of you know what you guys have planned remaining here, when you expect maybe some news out of this program, and then what the overall goal is to accomplish here. I'll answer the, the last piece of your question first. The, the overall goal is to make Grisette bigger and better, and so objective to double, triple this resource. So how do you do that? Uh, so we started with a very methodical plan. And again, this speaks to many, many years of experience from our, our VP exploration, Jack Oche, and just thinking, okay, what, what needs to be done in a methodical way to uh, expand this resource? So we did a number of things and out of the gate, starting with some geophysics, which, which is quite obvious to help us with some targeting along that trend. We also embarked on a 
what they call a, um, a sonic drilling program for base of till sampling. Again, the deposit is buried under 60 to 80 meters of glacial till. So we've, um, through, with a sonic drill, drilled through the, the, the base, to that base of that till and took some samples uh, at, at the contact with the, the bedrock. Uh, and then drilled into the bedrock to get uh, some uh, geological understanding. So that will help us with targeting along the trend, which is a key kind of exploration technique when you're dealing with these glacial tills. And that was, I think that led to the success that Anglo-American had with the Sakati uh, nickel project in uh, Finland. Uh, so that kind of like lays the groundwork for 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 more and for further follow-up. But our drilling campaign began in earnest in February, and we're wrapping it up now. Uh, so drilling was targeting the extension of the grisette resource. So in your mind, picture kind of a flow channel of magma. Um, that would flow, no, not too different from a, a river if you want to picture it that way. And that flow channel over time was now tilted from horizontal to vertical. So within that channel, thinking that oh, here's something that was vertical, uh, sorry, here's something that was horizontal, it's now til tilted vertically. Um, and understanding the, the contact with the ultramafix. And it, so we, our exploration on the drilling front was targeting extensions of the grisette deposit at depth. So along the flow of this, uh, of this magma, we have proof of concept of this with our announcement back in June, on June 15th, where we intersected 1.82% nickel um, at over 4.6 meters. And this was in a part of the grisette project that has not seen previously any drilling. Uh, so that discovery kind of expansion of, of that uh, horizon, um, that H1 horizon, which is part of the reset resource of five and a half billion tons, um, that's open on, on 200 meters on either side, no drilling. And so we'll be following that up soon. And with idea being that there's more to be found, we uh, conducted some downhole uh, electromagnetic surveys, so some geophysics to help us target and look for other potential nickel sulfide uh, bodies at depth. So until this hole that was drilled back in, in, in May and now announced in June, uh, the deepest intercept at Grisette was down to 775 meters at 2.76% nickel. That was over about half a meter. And the existing resource, that five and a half billion tons, is only down about 550, 600 meters. And so we're kind of <clears throat> wide open in terms of uh, expanding that resource at depth. And so uh, with the uh, exploration success that we've had with, with drilling uh, as announced back in June, and then our geophysical surveys that we've announced just not too recently on August the 17th, uh, further points to some kind of drill-rich opportunities uh, for us to follow up on. Come back to uh, just looking at a little bit more big picture here. Talk about generally the economics on these nickel sulfide deposits. How big do they need to be? Talk about the grades a little bit, the recoveries, and then importantly, collectively, how good do they need to be to get the attention of a major? Yeah, so we're, I, I believe we're, we're kind of on the cusp 
of getting that attention uh, of the major, just because we're along a, like a, this largely unexplored 23-kilometer trend, which is uh, just ripe for exploration. And with the grisette as we as we see it today, uh, so the five and a half million tons at 1.53% nickel equivalent uh, is particularly interesting. I think if we were in Australia and and, and run by having a, an Australian uh, mindset, uh, we would be thinking hard about uh, uh, putting a mine plan and, and milling operation together. Uh, our kind of Canadian view is we're going to do more work before we embark on that because we want to understand that center of gravity uh, of where best to, um, you know, you know, locate uh, the opportune place for uh, milling mining potential in the future. So we're still early days and we're going to be quite methodical in that approach. But as we get into, so we're five and a half million tons as we, as we are approaching kind of that 10 million ton uh, existing grades of 1.53, that becomes very interesting. But I think what's important here is that uh, it's early days in the sense that there, more of these massive nickel sulfides uh, are, 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 are likely to be found. So um, just the nature of this type of ore body, so these comatiite type flows. So we see the disseminated uh, and we see that, you know, where we're, you know, 0.5, nickel. From a nickel content, our resource is mostly disseminated. That gets us our 1.22% nickel and with the byproducts of the platinum, palladium, copper, cobalt, uh, that biases that nickel grade from the 1.22 to the 1.53% nickel. But better understanding of these uh, comatiite flows and how the nickel contained in the magma interacts with the sulfur that's in the sediments that creates the nickel sulfides and eventually settles out. So if, if we can understand the flows and we can understand the channels, uh, we can potentially find where the disseminated leads to the massive sulfide. So um, within the resource, uh, we do encounter 14% plus nickel grades. They're not large widths, but when you're looking at that 14% nickel sulfide, that tends to occur at the base of that flow at the contact with, with the ultramafix. Um, so the key for us is locating kind of that, those nickel, that, that nickel sulfide kind of the needle in the haystack. So in 2014, Balmoral did drill a hole that was approximately 14.65% nickel, and that was over 0.67 meters. And that was in a, uh, within an intercept of almost 80 meters at 1.43% nickel. So to uh, address your question about the economics in terms of size, is you need a couple million tons uh, at grades of call it approaching that two percent to kind of pay for everything, and I'm sure you've had many on your your podcast where you talk about these objective of these high grade starter pits or these high grade areas that allow the companies to return that capital investment and, and make those uh, two two year paybacks or three year paybacks, and then the rest is uh, kind of just gravy on the reserve tail. 
So part of our plan with growing the resource is also just um, targeting and, and identifying some of the higher grade massive sulfide zones, which approach, uh, uh, well, that's that, 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 you know, the dream is that that 14, those 14% pockets, but with the recent drilling um, uh, that we've, we've announced that, you know, that 1.82% nickel is quite interesting over 4.6 meters. And we believe there's, there's more to be found at, at that contact. And that'll kind of drive the scope and, and scale of the ultimate mine as we kind of envisage. But like we're early days in, uh, in, in that process, but uh, a lot more to be found. And the fact that we've got, you know, uh, I think a great starting point um, and uh, with room to grow, um, and as we lay out our exploration program, uh, we're you know, identifying more of these higher grade, higher nickel tenors uh, within the within the massive sulfides. Tom, with some of these byproducts, how difficult? Maybe there's some comparables out there that are in operation, but how difficult is it to get out the PGMs and the copper and the cobalt as the nickel's the primary focus? But you know, just talk about maybe the processing complications on getting everything out of it, or do you see that that's quite uh, simple and straightforward to do no then that's uh, that's a very good question because so i laid out that nickel exploration is hard and that's why we've got our technical advisory committee but so nickel exploration is one thing and nickel sulfides finding the tons in the grade uh, challenging the needle in the haystack and then when you lay on uh the metallurgy that's where things get interesting um, because that's where you can have complications. And I will say in our case, Balmoral did do some preliminary work. I mean, you can't really say it's representative because this is a resource that's growing, but the initial metallurgical testing, which uh, it, it, everyone need kind of need to do relatively early on in a project, um, in our case, uh, the Grisette uh, resource responds quite well to conventional uh, flotation uh, techniques. So we can produce a high uh, nickel concentrate. Uh, we can recover the cop copper, cobalt, the platinum and palladium. Um, the nickel is the primary focus uh, for us. So we can uh, uh, you know, produce a saleable concentrate that can be sold and then turned into the, the various nickel uh, products. But Nickel metallurgy, just in general, uh, it, it has its challenges, but the, the beauty is that with our project, uh, through a conventional flotation flow sheet, uh, we can achieve recoveries north of 83%. And this is, again, not optimized in, by any respects, uh, but also a concentrate grade that's approaching uh, you know, 13 14% uh, nickel in concentrate, which is quite fantastic. As far as when you get into the details of uh, the recoveries of the kind of the non, the copper, the cobalt, the platinum and palladium, just the, the nature of these deposits, uh, you don't get all of it. And then by the time you recover that to a, call it a bulk concentrate and then sell it to a smelter, it, it doesn't, you don't get fully paid for that because there are uh, various discounts and how the uh, offtake agreements work. But kind of in, in round numbers, about, you know, 80 odd percent of the value is, is locked up in the nickel, so about 20% of the value. And that's the after recovery is adjusted for, after payability is adjusted for, uh, there's another you know, 20% of the value through the uh, the byproducts. But 
want to again just want to kind of emphasize from a metallurgy front and you know it's one thing to have the nickel uh, in the ground it's another thing to be able to get that nickel out and produce a saleable concentrate without too much complexity because complexity ultimately means in the nickel space uh, that you're 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 just going to be throwing more capital uh, and then just running into more uh, variability um, and volatility in the, your, your your product at the end of the day. And I think that's one of the distinguishing features with with Grisette, in my view, and one of the key you know reasons I joined this group uh, is that we've got, a, I, I would say, a early stage but phenomenal uh, resource. And we've got metallurgy that uh, makes this much more doable in the grand sense in thinking that we're not going to need, um, uh, you know, necessarily a, a high-tech blending strategy on the ore side, and we don't need a high-tech uh, metallurgical solution. And high-tech metallurgical solution, I, I tend to think like a pressure leach type vessels that are, are needed to extract the bulk of the value. And once you start getting into uh, leaching technology, you're looking at higher energy inputs, but you're, most importantly, you're looking at much, much higher capital inputs to get the project off the ground. Yeah, Tom, that's good. And I appreciate you clarifying that various parameters that go into this and just the recoveries and the penalties at the smelter and these various other things that occur here before you can finally calculate that final dollar. Um, yeah. Just wrapping up on uh, Grisette here before we move on to some of the exploration stuff and some other questions. What is your viewpoint here in terms of timeline on first economic study such as a PEA? Yeah, I think we'd like to do another round uh, of a, a drill season before we embark on a PEA. A PEAs cost money and there's there's time involved with this, but I think we've got uh, within the Grisette, uh, there's two things, a couple things that we want to accomplish first, and that's to expand that resource and put the money in the drill bit. Uh, we do believe we have a project at the end of the day that it's inevitably a, a PEA heading to PFS and all all the steps in between. Um, so like to do more drilling, so dollars to be spent in the in the ground before further study. We'll, we'll do our internal analysis uh, of, of what of what's needed. Uh, so we've got Grisette, but there's also the aspect of again thinking that this ultimately will be a mine uh, that we want to do some of the kind of near mine. Let's call it. Uh, quote-unquote near mine exploration around uh, we have a, a, a GUC central discovery that's about seven kilometers away that's only have nine drill holes in it that uh, has equally exciting uh, nickel sulfide so uh, expanding reset at the drill bit regional and then PEAs would be I uh, would targeting towards late 2024 or early 2025 could be sooner but there's a lot more to be unlocked in terms of uh, value from uh, uh, at the drill bit looking forward to seeing how that progresses how about uh, the Sudbury Basin exploration projects uh, quite a bit of grounds there just overview these for us and what the main focus will be at this point on these properties given that as you said about 80 percent of your time is spent on Grisette yeah so Sudbury we have the third largest land package in the Sudbury camp so we're behind Valet uh, and Glencore in terms of uh, the property size over 300 kilometers squared of exploration property uh, in that camp your listeners know well uh, Sudbury's been active over 130 years uh, and it's actually the second largest nickel district in the world so it's a, a great place to be exploring um, but with that large land package, uh, we're 
under uh, a, a prior uh, we're prioritizing our targets and how we're spending money our most advanced project is the parkin offset dike kind of on the eastern end of the Sudbury basin uh, offset dikes uh, been a source of about a third of the nickel production that we've seen out of the the Sudbury camp um, so uh, again underexplored uh, we're doing geophysics now to plan the drill program so that we can execute and add as much value as we can uh, with the dollars we put into the ground uh, with the drill bit and the other one I'll, I'll mention just briefly is we also have a, a footwall target so our windy lake project which is kind of on the other end of the basin away from Parkin and uh, just preliminary study work about how we're going to approach uh, the Windy Lake target. But what we're doing in Sudbury, and I think what the future of, of Sudbury is, uh, these are these would be deeper targets. And because we are in an established camp where there is milling capacity, uh, there is smelting capacity, you can kind of visualize that what we're doing here is exploration to kind of feed into existing uh, operations. And so with, with that in mind uh, and, and, and knowing uh, kind of how this kind of tolling and working with the smelters works, we, our objective would be for industry significant targets. And I think this is what is needed. Uh, and, you know, we got the backdrop of this favorable macro environment, but when you look at the Sudbury camp that's been active for over 130 years, uh, industry significant in, in our view, and this is a, a, a real stretch target for us, is kind of that 10 to 15 million ton resource. So that's 10 to 15 million tons, and you'd be biasing north of 1.5% nickel. So how do you find that? So we're going to be using our geophysics um, techniques um, and, and the latest technology to look search out those targets but what we are, are, are kind of staying away from which is not part of our plan within Archer is uh, we won't do kind of some of the near surface or open pit type targets unless we we stumble across one but uh, that's uh, highly unlikely but I think what we have with uh, Parkin and, and certainly at Windy Lake uh, these would be some of the deeper targets that would be kind of starting at roughly that thousand meter uh, depth and I think when you look at the kind of the trends in that camp they are for the deeper targets and I think you can look to Glencore's Onaping depth deposit which I believe off the top of my head is about 2500 meter type project so when you're looking at these deeper targets uh, you are considering much much larger uh, resource as uh, something supportive of the infrastructure that we require in order to access uh, that material, uh, but you have all this existing surface infrastructure through the milling and smelting. Uh, but we're spending 20% of our time, uh, we're spending 20% of our budget uh, approximately on developing uh, these targets. And I think ultimately for us, for Archer, with this large land package, uh, we'd be looking to monetize uh, some of it because we you know from a portfolio context it, it is a bit large for us uh, and not to kind of give up opportunities we, we think consider divesting at the appropriate time some of the pieces that we can't get to in the near term where we can 
structure some deals where uh, we have other people spend the money on things that are not as a high priority for us that uh, other companies might find it uh, more interesting and to prioritize. So using Sudbury, at least pieces of our Sudbury portfolio as a piggy bank, but also moving forward some of the advanced, uh, more advanced projects and, you know, the park and offset dike is just one example uh, of that. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about the potential for either a JV or monetization of some of those grounds you guys can't get to just to help support, you know, the core focus areas for you guys. I think that makes sense. And I suspect with part of this package coming out from Wellbridge that that's something that I would expect that there'll be some other juniors to have discussions on and market conditions are difficult and to to find ways to monetize your JV other than just issuing equity is, is always helpful to kind of get down the runway, if you will back to kind of corporate activity, just there's a mention of a potential listing upgrade over the next, maybe you could call it another year or so, Tom, maybe a little bit further plans to get off the CSE, which has its limitations, uh, maybe over to the TSXV. And then also just your plans to get more attention and awareness around the company in the coming months. Yeah. So are we planned a venture uplisting uh, shortly? I'd uh, like to complete that before the end of this year. We haven't set the timeline yet, but we are on a path. And uh, one of the things that we've done, uh, one of the many things that we've done over the last few months is just kind of prepare uh, for that. But that's a key key focus for us. Uh, we completed the OTC uh, listing not too long ago, but the venture uplisting is next. Now, as far as getting the story in front of people, um, yeah, a key focus for us in our, in our time and attending conferences and, and doing a podcast as, as as we're doing at this at this moment. And I think, yeah, we're a lot lots of plans to kind of to, just to demonstrate that we're you know Archer is somewhat unique with the quality of our nickel sulfide projects and that we've got something that's kind of tangible and, and doable from a kind of from a, from an engineering mindset from an industry mindset side it's got lots of room to grow the in the metallurgy straightforward and then part of that is just getting the story in in, fr in front of people and using all available uh channels but there's also a bit of an education process and i encourage uh your listeners to go to our our website as we continue to add content to the website to better explain what we have and nickel is unique in in, in many ways it, it it is different uh from from the kind of what is conventionally thought of and, and, and we have many, many more comps out there in the copper space uh, with the different types of deposits and and how uh, copper projects are moved forward. And nickel has some unique nuance with uh, exploration, but also the metallurgy. But yeah, I encourage your listeners to head on over to our website as we further expand the kind of the content there and help with that understanding. You know, I describe things from the resource side of Grisette that this you know flow channel that was once horizontal and then vertical, but you know soon we'll have 3D uh, kind of representations of these deposits, so investors can then see uh, what we've got and better understand the words and and moving things from two dimensions to, to three dimensions. I think is quite quite helpful. But uh, yeah, we'll continue to uh, tell the story to the market and let the world know that what we've got is something very unique, something very special, and where we are right now with the, the capital market space, it's sure, certainly it's an, an opportunity for many to take a look and uh, invest and have success uh, because um, relatively early days of this uh, next leg of the commodity cycle. 
Well, let's leave it there for now. Just one more time, another opportunity here to, to just mention for potential investors who are listening in. The company has a market capitalization of about 8.6 million Canadian dollars. Why should investors consider Archer Exploration at this stage? Well, we've only scratched the surface on our projects. We got an existing resource of that five and a half billion tons at 1.53% nickel equivalent. So only scratching the surface. This is not moose pasture. We're not starting from zero. Uh, we've got a 43-101 compliant uh, resource and we're growing that with our uh, existing uh, drill campaigns. So there's more to come on the exploration front at Grisette. Uh We are unique in the sense that we've got the sulfides. They're high grade. They are amenable to conventional flotation techniques. So there's no quote unquote rocket science involved uh, with complexity on the metallurgy side. So as we more, as we add more to the resource, it just kind of expands the opportunities uh, for the economics of what we got. And the fact that our portfolio uh, is extensive. So there are lots of options within the organization. Grisette is the focus, but we've got this massive land package in, in Sudbury, which again, we're just starting to prioritize. And we've got the Air Van Stage Parkin project, uh, which will be drilling shortly, and then uh, Windy Lake. So the macro environment uh, for Archer, uh, nickel sulfide focus, we've got the macro environment working on the nickel side. And then we've got a valuation, which I would say is very, very compelling. And we've got a portfolio with room to grow, and we've got a management team that is focused on adding value. We're gonna do that at the drill bit, and it's a pretty exciting time to take a very close look at Archer. Uh, we're unique, and when you comp it versus what else, uh, other nickel opportunities are out there from a all risks considered perspective, we stand very well. And Tom, the best way for folks to reach out to the company? Our website, Archer Exploration, uh, we've got uh, an info or else just email me at tmeyer, T-M-E-Y-E-R, at archerexploration.com or uh, reach out to my colleague Wes and we'd happy to uh, answer any questions and uh, provide information as best we can. Tom, appreciate it. Great to have an introduction here and looking forward to tracking this and also best of luck in the coming months. Thank you for coming on the program. Many thanks for the questions. Really enjoyed this.